Well, good evening and welcome. It's good to see all of you here. I sure appreciate your presence. And as always, I encourage you to take out a Bible and follow along. Make sure that what is said is in accordance to God's Word. We began, uh, well, before I get into that, I, I do want to say once again, thank you. Uh, thanks for bringing me out. A special thanks to Chip and Christy for taking such good care of us. It was good to spend time with you. Good to get to meet this congregation. And I hope that you... Uh, Appreciate that you are truly blessed. Uh, I have a great deal of respect for Barry, and even though he doesn't know who I am or re remember me, uh, he, ha he had a pretty big impact on me when I first started preaching. He was, I think, maybe the first or second gospel preacher to come to a meeting when I started preaching, and uh, I remember that, and it was beneficial to me, and you are blessed to have him, and I hope you appreciate it. So I began the series saying you didn't have to listen if you looked in the mirror and saw yourself as everything God wanted you to be. Well, this lesson is also one where you do not have to listen. Maybe it's not a lesson for you. If you have never suffered, if you don't plan to ever suffer, or if you don't know anybody who has suffered, you don't have to listen. Lesson's not for you. But of course, I know everybody in this audience that it's not you. We have all suffered. And suffering is a challenge for Christians. The problem of suffering has caused many Christians to fall away and caused many people to not become Christians. And I want us to take a look at John chapter 11 and look at Lazarus as he relates to the problem of suffering. Now, the problem of suffering has been described as a philosophical one. And it's an old philosophical problem. There was a man back in the year 270 B.C., that's when he died, by the name of Epicurus. He was a philosopher, and he died in Athens, Greece. 300 years later, we run into followers of him. He had such a profound impact on the way people viewed life, that they followed his teachings for 300 years to where in Acts chapter 17 and verse 18, when Paul is going through Athens, and you remember he's looking at all the various idols, and he finds that one to the unknown God, he starts debating with people from two philosophical backgrounds, the Stoics and the Epicureans. And Epicurus his philosophies sort of make sense to us, some of them. He has philosophies along the lines of happiness and contentment is not based on getting everything you want, it's enjoying what you have. And that's something we can relate to. We recognize that that is true wisdom. But Epicurus would not have liked Paul, and he would not agree with us. Because at his core, he was talking about a worthwhile life, a life that is absent of pain and suffering. And so if there was something that was going to cause you pain and suffering, such as Paul going off and preaching Christ and being stoned and being flogged and having all the struggles that he went through, Epicurus said, you shouldn't do that. It's a wrong thing to do. So not everything about him we would agree with. Well, there was another philosopher, David Hume, 
who quotes Epicurus. So we don't have any of his original writings, but he quotes Epicurus, and what he says is, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then from whence comes evil? Now, I'm pretty sure Epicurus wasn't talking about the idea of moral wickedness, but he's talking about the outcome of evil, which is it's suffering. And it's really the problem of suffering. And you look at it and you say, okay, we've, we, when I was uh, studying philosophy, I remember looking at it this way. If God is all-powerful and God is all-loving, then there would not be any suffering. However, there is suffering, so either God is not all-powerful or God is not loving. And of course, from there, they quickly go to the next step, the logical step, and they say, there is no God. And so the problem of suffering has led people to not believe in a God. How would God let me go through this? He either doesn't have the power to help me, or he doesn't care about me. And either one of those would mean he's not God to the people of the world. 270 B.C., not a modern argument, and in fact, old enough that I'm not so certain John hadn't heard of it. Because when I read John chapter 11, with this argument in mind, it's almost like he's answering the argument. And I hope to show you that this evening. John chapter 11 is a chapter about suffering. We're going to see somebody who gets sick, and they get sick to the point that they're going to die. But it's more than about suffering. It's also about how Jesus handles suffering. But it's more than that because you know who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, He is the exact representation of God. Jesus describes it to His disciples. If you have seen Me, you have seen God. If you know Me, you know God. So when we see Jesus in the context of suffering, we are getting to understand God. And His view and His actions in light of suffering. In John chapter 11, there's going to be a sickness and it's bad. And Lazarus is going to die. And the pain and the suffering doesn't stop there because then we switch over to Mary and Martha, his family, and they are in pain and agony, suffering the loss of their brother. Well, I know this is long. But I can't think of any better way to teach this, this message than to take the time to read 45 verses, to read the account. But as we read it, I want you to remember the premise. Is God all-powerful? Is God all-loving when there is suffering? So John chapter 11, read with me if you would. Verse 1, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany of the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when he heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews who had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to, Mary, uh, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man, 
who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying. So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, Remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings. His face was wrapped around with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. A lot of pain. And honestly, a lot of challenge. I'm surprised at our Lord. I'm surprised at what he does and what he says. And it's not always easy to hear. It's not always easy to accept. Jesus hears that somebody he cares about is suffering, and he lets it happen. Because he waited two days. He waited before he did anything. And that must have been hard looking back for the disciples to understand too because they saw Jesus during those two days. And I don't know that there was anything unusual about those two days. He's going about, he's eating meals while his friend is suffering. He goes to sleep while his friend is suffering. He let his friend suffer. And it's not like he didn't think it was serious. He is the one who announces Lazarus is dead. He knows how serious it is, and yet he waits two days. And I've got to tell you, it probably would have been really hard for Mary and Martha to have heard that what Jesus said when he said, I'm going to wait two days, and then he says, Lazarus is dead, for him to add this phrase, I'm glad. I wasn't there. Friends, that's hard to hear. That's hard to hear that Jesus would let it happen and would even have the audacity to say that he was glad that he wasn't there. And that's our picture of God. It's hard. And in there... I don't know if you noticed, but there were three times where in one form or another, it is stated if Jesus had been there. Martha starts it off. Martha says, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. 
Mary follows it up, says, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Then the people that were following Mary and Martha said, this guy can heal illnesses like we've never seen before. If he had been here, couldn't he have saved Lazarus? They're basically saying, where were you? Why did you let this happen? It is a nice, a polite way for us to say what we're looking at in this debate. Where is God when we're suffering? Did he lack the power? Or did he lack the love? So, Jesus allows it to happen. But was it because he lacked the power or because he lacked the love? Did you notice that both of those points got detaily, uh, detaily, there's your word for the weekend, detaily, in detail, answered? Did Jesus have the power? And nobody, not a single person in this whole chapter is debating Jesus had the power. He absolutely had the power. He had already done so much. They point out he's been able to heal other miracles, clear, heal other illnesses. Clearly, he can heal this one. They already knew it. And you know what? They got it wrong. Three times they say something along the lines, if Jesus had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. You see where they got that wrong? Jesus didn't have to be there. Because didn't we already see that in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, where there's this centurion who's got a sick servant? I want us to look at that really quickly. Luke chapter 7. And I don't want to distract you too much, but do you remember the three traits from Friday night? Verse 1, when he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum, and a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation. And it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that, he was following, that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. Did you see all three traits right there? Faith, love, and humility. And he's going to get the mercy from Jesus. But at any rate, what we just saw here, Jesus is now going to heal this servant without ever going there. So do you understand what could have happened in John chapter 11? It starts off in John chapter 11 and verse 
2, it was, um, I'm sorry, verse 3, so the sisters sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And Jesus said, no, he's not. And that's the end of it. Jesus had the power to heal him right then and there. There's no debate about Jesus' power. And if there was a debate about whether Jesus could have cured the illness, isn't it resolved when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, and he overcomes death? Is there any illness, is there anything that is too difficult for the Lord? The answer is no. Does he have the power? Absolutely he has the power. And it's interesting to me that through this whole thing, while we're not doubting his power at all, we're also not going to doubt his authority, his place, his position, his nature. Throughout John chapter 11, he is called teacher. Even after they watch him wait two days, they don't understand what he's doing. They may not agree with what he's doing, but they'll still call him teacher. Even Martha, when she comes to Mary, she says, the teacher is looking for you. Throughout the chapter, I don't know if you noticed, but throughout the chapter, everybody just keeps calling him Lord. He hasn't changed. His position hasn't changed. His authority hasn't changed. It's not in question. And then, of course, there's the great statement that Mary, I'm sorry, Martha makes in John chapter 11, verse 27, now she is in pain. She has been suffering for a while, watching her brother get sick, watching him get worse, desperately hoping that Jesus would show up, sending out for help, and he doesn't show up. And then Lazarus dies, and now she is suffering the loss of her brother and maybe more. There's no telling what impact that had on her ability to survive. How important was Lazarus to her? I don't know. But nonetheless, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Does Jesus have the power? Yes. Does he have the authority? Absolutely. So then, it's obvious where the problem is, right? He must not have the love. And yet, what is it that's emphasized in John chapter 11? It starts off with the way that they appeal to Jesus back in verse 3. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Well, maybe they were exaggerating. Maybe they were just saying that so that Jesus would care. But no, it says in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. No question, Jesus loved them. Jesus will refer to Lazarus as his friend. Jesus will care deeply when he sees other people hurting. I know that John 11, verse 35, one, it's one of the most popular verses in the Bible, especially for Bible class students, young kids, whenever my teachers would say, all right, you need to make a memory verse, but you can pick any verse in the Bible. John 11, 35. I've done it. Jesus wept. Short, short verse. But it's caused a lot of controversy, and people wonder, why is Jesus weeping? Well, the answer is either not in the text, and we have to guess entirely, or it's in the text, and we just need to accept it. And what it says in verse 33, when Jesus 
therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And then one verse later, Jesus wept. And the conclusion, the conclusion of it, everybody looks at that and says, look how much he loved Lazarus. So, Jesus really throws everything into chaos. Here's this debate. It, it's got to be this. It's got to be this. Our wise philosophers have told us there's no other possibility. He's either all-powerful or he's all-loving. But he can't be both because they're suffering. And here we find a situation where his power is not in doubt and his love is not in doubt, and yet there is suffering. And it's almost as though John is aware of this argument and he's presenting Lazarus as a rebuttal. Now, let's deal with the problem. The problem of suffering. And I, of course, don't have all the answers. I don't know if anybody does. Let me ask you something about John chapter 11. Is it a sad story or a happy one? I guess it depends what part you're looking at. If we look at the part where Lazarus is dying, and where Mary and Martha are weeping, that's sad. But if you look at the chapter as a whole, what it is is somebody goes through a problem and then it is overcome. It is the story of triumph over death. It is a happy account. And really, that's one of the things we have to do in understanding suffering. If we focus on moments, we're going to struggle and not understand. But if we look at the big picture, this is what we're taught in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. We're told that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. That, that verse has been just horribly misused, horribly misused. There are people who have read that verse and somehow come to the conclusion that all things that happen are good. That's not what that verse said. And it's caused some Christians to say some terribly painful things to the suffering. I'm sorry to say, but I think many people who have suffered have found their suffering is worsened by the things that the loved ones, the brothers and sisters in Christ, have said to them. There's a preacher in Italy, young man. Eventually he gets married, and his life is just getting ready to take off, and everything's so great. His wife becomes pregnant. And right at the end, his wife gets terribly sick. His child dies, and his wife is in a coma to this day. It would be wrong for me to go to him and say, that's good. Friends, that's not good. Death is not good. Death is the enemy. 
pain and suffering are not good. They are the enemy. That's not what Romans 8 verse 28 says. Well, Romans 8 and verse 28 doesn't say any one given moment is good. Every event is good. What it says, when you look at the big picture, God causes all things to work together for good. All the things are going to happen. They're going to occur. There's going to be pain. There's going to be joy. But it's all going to work together till the end, the end of the chapter, the end of your chapter. If you have loved God and been called according to his purpose, it will be good. It will be happy. It will be something that was ultimately totally worth it. Hard to see in the moments, but when you read the whole story, when you see it in its entirety, that's how it's going to work. And Martha actually understood that. I mean, she says that in John chapter 11. She says in verse 24, when Jesus had said that your brother will rise again, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. She knows it's going to happen, but you know what? It didn't change the pain. It didn't change what she was going through. It was still hard. What she didn't realize and what we should realize is it doesn't have to be the end of the story with God. God can make all things work together for good at any moment. She's thinking now God's going to do it at the end. Lazarus will ultimately be resurrected. And she's right, but she is with Jesus who is the resurrection and the life and he can fix any problem right then and he does. So God can make anything work out for good and he can do it whenever he wants. But in the end, God makes happy stories. In the end, God makes the ending joyful for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. What I see with Lazarus is that suffering has a reason. That's not always comforting. In John chapter 5 and verse 14, there is this paralytic man. Jesus heals him. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Jesus has just said, if you sin, worse things might happen. You know what? Sometimes we suffer because we've done wrong things. And the people of Israel faced that so much in the Old Testament. So many times they faced persecution. They faced occupation. They faced losing in battle. They faced the suffering of loss of loved ones. And it could be traced back to they were sinning against God. And there's no comfort in that one. There's no comfort in saying it's your fault. But you know, sometimes that is the truth. Sometimes, but not always. Because in John chapter 9, you have this, what was read for us earlier this evening, this man who was born blind. And the disciples, they're struggling with the problem of evil, especially in this case. Here's this man who's suffering, but he's suffering from birth. How could he have done anything wrong at birth? But he's the one who's suffering. Was it his parents who sinned, or was it he who sinned? And Jesus answered in verse 3, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, when that man was born, 
There's no way the parents knew why he was blind. But it wasn't because they'd done something wrong. And it wasn't because their child was somehow a special sort of wickedness. The child was born blind, but God had a plan from the very beginning. It was for the purpose of the glorification of God. But they didn't know that. And Lazarus, he's suffering for a purpose. But I want to remind you real quick, because I've heard it too many times. Sometimes we say the worst things. I was talking to a, a mom. Not all of her children were still alive. A mom who's grieving the loss of a child. And for Christians to go to her and say, this is your fault. Oh, sometimes we say the wrong things. Think carefully before you say something like that. And to those who have heard such things, unfortunately, there's far too many. I beg you to be merciful and not give up when you've been hurt. But Lazarus is suffering for a reason. And we're told the reason. Usually we're not. In his case, we are. We're told in John chapter 11, verse 4, Jesus said, this sickness is not to end in death. That's not the purpose. The purpose isn't death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Like that man who was born blind, this is to glorify God. But he adds a reason to it in verse 15. He says, I am glad, notice he did not say, I am glad he died. He is not saying, I am glad he suffered. He says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. There's a reason for it, and the reason is faith. And now what happens throughout the chapter is those two reasons keep getting repeated. They keep getting restated. And verse 40 Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 45, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. Verse 48, now the enemies of Christ are all in a tizzy. They're all upset. It says, if we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Roman nation will come and take away both our place and our nation. And then in chapter 12, it follows it up. And it says in verse 9, then large crowds of the Jews then learned that he was there. They came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. If we could pluck Lazarus out of heaven for a moment, 
and put him on the stage. We could ask him questions about how, how, how awful was it to be that sick, to be that weak. And he could tell us about how much he loved his sisters and how much they loved him. And he could tell us about the great pain that he experienced and that they experienced. And then if we asked him, would you do it again? What do you think his answer would be? Now I know it's a hypothetical and we're having to guess. But if he could say, name, 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 is with me in heaven now because of it. What do you think his answer would be? Yes, I'd do it again. I'd suffer it again. I'd endure it again because there was a purpose and it was worth it. The answer to suffering. I'll give you two from Lazarus. First one's really important to know. I don't have all the answers, but I know this. Suffering doesn't change who we need. Mary and Martha were probably hurt by Jesus, especially when they found out he waited. He waited two days. He didn't come when we asked for help. I thought he loved us. I thought we had a good relationship. And they might have gotten offended, and they might have gotten upset. And when Jesus came, they could have said, you get out of here. I want nothing to do with you. And what would have happened then? Yes, sometimes we don't understand what God has done. And yes, sometimes it hurts, but it never changes who you need. There is no other solution to your problems. There is no one else who has the power and the ability to overcome whatever problems you are facing than God. So look past the pain. Look past the problems. Look past the feeling of being hurt and beg for His help. He's the only one who can. Far too many Christians have suffered and given up on God. And none of them did their life get better by doing it. It only gets worse. We are better off with Him than without Him. And the final thing I'll say before I finish this lesson and this series is to me the most profound and the most helpful. Remember, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. You know what He taught me? When I hurt, God hurts. 
he looked at them crying, and he wept. He looked at their pain, and he was troubled. It shouldn't have been a surprise. God doesn't tell us to do things that he's not willing to do. He tells Abraham to offer up his son. He doesn't even let Abraham actually do it, but he does. He offers up his son. He tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I don't know the reason why we suffer. And it doesn't take away the pain. But it sure helps me to know when I hurt, I'm not alone. He hurts with me. And that helps. Well, if you're not a Christian, now is the time to become one. We've seen a teacher, a man who has power over all illness, power over death, who this morning we saw he suffered tremendously on the cross for you to take away your sins. And so we always offer an invitation because all of this was with a purpose, with the purpose of bringing people to believe, bringing people out of sin, bringing people out of darkness, bringing people out of eternal condemnation and bringing them to Christ and to life and to hope and to light and truth. And we offer the invitation to you this evening. If you're not a Christian, it's time to stop waiting. Answer the call and make certain that your life will have a great ending. And if you're a Christian and you've fallen away, heed the warning. We beg you to come back as we stand and as we sing.